Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MyFit Podcast, hosted by fitness coach, business owner, and CrossFit Games athlete, DJ Hillier. Physical fitness and podcasting are two of his life passions, and his goal is to train, educate, and inspire those who want to improve their general health. These podcasts are designed to help everyone, from the occasional gym member trying to improve their overall wellness, to the fitness enthusiast. The episodes capture a wide spectrum of topics, including training, coaching, nutrition, entrepreneurship, relationships, and mindset. Follow the show on Instagram at the MyFit Podcast and subscribe to his newsletter at djhillier.com. So let's get to it. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is DJ Hillier and you are listening to episode 180 of the MyFit Podcast. This week's episode is a special one. It involves the dream team of negotiating Brandon and Chris Voss. As returning guests, the intention of this conversation was to break down the more advanced techniques of negotiating in business and in everyday life. If you're new to the show and you like what you hear today, I highly recommend going back to episode 129 with Chris Voss and 137 with Brandon Voss, where we talk about some of the more entry-level negotiating tactics. For those that are not familiar with Chris and Brandon, they both own and operate the Black Swan, which is a consulting company that coaches people to become better negotiators. Additionally, they have collaborated in writing the best-selling book, Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It, which has sold over 3 million copies worldwide. Chris has an extensive background, which started as him being the lead FBI hostage negotiator for several years and has now used his tactics to help educate and coach everyday people who are looking to get a leg up in their negotiating game. Just like when we had Brandon and Chris on, I had to bring my dad, Craig, back too. This is the first time I've had four mics going on one episode, and it was truly a joy to have the conversation that we had today. A couple of the topics we got into were first, understanding and reviewing tactical empathy. Tactical empathy is the base for all things Chris Voss, Brandon Voss, and the Black Swan. So I wanted to lay some foundation and set the table before we got into the higher level uh, terminology. After that, we talked about how to disagree with class, how to disagree with your counterpart, and also how to say no. Then we talked about why you should never use the word why in negotiations. Then we talked about the dichotomy of letting your counterpart speak first. We talked about the flinch technique, how to be a world-class listener, how to label your counterpart's emotions without being demeaning, and some tips for negotiating with somebody who is angry. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to leave a rating review and share it on your Instagram. Your five-star feedback helps the show grow tremendously and simultaneously brings a smile to my face. Also, if you guys are interested in getting some new element, make sure to head over to www.drinkelement.com forward slash myfit. Enjoy this special episode with uh, Chris and Brandon Voss and also my dad, Craig. I hope you guys enjoy it. Grab a pen and paper because there's a lot of golden nuggets for you to become a better negotiator. All right. Let's go. The MyFit Podcast is brought to you by Element. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you don't. That means lots of salt with no sugar. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited to folks following a keto, low-carb, or paleo diet. Element contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. With none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, and no BS. Healthy hydration isn't just about drinking water. It's about water plus electrolytes. And it makes sense. You lose both water and sodium when you sweat. So both need to be replaced to prevent things like muscle cramps, headaches, and energy dips. There are several flavors to choose from. My favorite is the citrus salt, which is how I start every single day. And as listeners of the MyFit Podcast, you can now receive a free Element sample pack with any order by using the link www.drinkelement.com forward slash MyFit. Again, that's www.drinkelement.com forward slash M-I-F-I-T. Go get yours now. 
Chris, Brandon Boss, welcome to the MyFit Podcast. My dad, Craig, and I are so excited to have you on for round two. We're excited to take things a step further. We both had you on the show and had tremendous amount of success. We talk about your book and your podcast almost every single week, and we refer to it a lot with other shows, and it's just good to have you guys back again. We had a lot of fun flying out to Vegas, having dinner uh, with you, Chris, and we're just looking forward to another great conversation today. I can totally reflect on what DJ is saying. I don't know that there's a podcast or a YouTube video that I have not listened to that you have put out. As a matter of fact, it's a little scary because you're kind of in my vernacular. I was at Sam's Club a little while ago and they said, hey, here's some free samples. And I'm like, well, if they're free, I'll take three. I said that to my to myself and uh, DJ and I, we almost have to be careful of, of how we're listening to your content. We'll be walking around with our earphones on and either my wife or his fiance might be like, well, who are you listening to? I'm like, well, you know, it's the, a new Black Swan recording. Man, haven't you heard enough out of those guys? And and we just can't let it go. Seems like you think uh, we listen to them too much. And they're like, well, that's right. So well, are you opposed to me learning some new strategies that will help us get to our goals sooner? Well, no. And that kind of shuts things down. And then they're often wondering, well, okay, what's next? What have they uh, produced that you haven't listened to? So I just want to say thank you as well. And we've just uh, so enjoyed getting to know both of you. And uh, let's dive in and really help some of our listeners collaborate on uh, whatever's in front of them. Sounded like a plane. Slap. That works. Cool. So tactical empathy is obviously the base of uh, what you guys talk about. It's in the it's in the book, and it's been a skill that I've really tried to focus on since our dinner in Las Vegas. And I think in order for us to dive into the 200 or 300 level questions, we first need to set the table with tactical empathy. Can we just open that uh, book a little bit to talk about what is tactical empathy and what does it look like? Sure. Sure. I mean, Brandon and I, like what happens a lot of times is we each have a slightly different take on on the same thing. I mean, so uh, tactical empathy is probably the calibrated application of emotional intelligence um, it, and calibrated by what? By what we've learned from neuroscience. Neuroscience and really the neuroscience backs up our experience, which is you know, people, uh, the default wiring is largely negative. So you get you get a lot farther, a lot faster if you deactivate negatives as opposed to um, trying to uh, nourish positives out of sort of a fear-based approach. Bram, what do you think? Yeah, and no, I, I mean, you pretty much hit it on the head there. I think the only thing I would, might add to that is um, how do you get people to say things to you they wouldn't normally say? And, and, and it really starts with diffusing those negatives, as, as Chris just mentioned. But yeah, how do, you, how do you verbalize things that get them to talk to you in ways they might not talk to anybody else? Yeah, one of the things that how, was, how, to get them, how to get them to be honest and, and not regret it. And by not jumping on their case. And, and uh, Brandon, in our conversation in October, you really broke open deference. And I just want to review that real quick. And then I, I just want to chat a little bit about how do we stay in that deference mindset with today's issues on supply chain. So this a quick review. When you hear the word deference, I'll, I'll go to Brandon on this one. What do you, what do you think of it? And then I've got a question for Chris as a follow-up. Sure. Yeah. De deference is, is really one of the keys to, uh, to influence in negotiation. And the reason for that is because it starts with a level of self-control. I mean, uh, one of the biggest questions we always get is like, how do I keep myself from reacting in the moment and being able to respond properly? And if you're just focused on being deferential and it's interesting, how do we get there from a mindset perspective? It's abundance minded, right? If you, if you are very much abundance minded, growth minded, you're going to be, a be in a place where exhibiting deference is not as difficult as it sometimes sounds like. So, Chris, your famous story about your salsa red pearl forerunner, how you, bad you wanted that. And you did the research and you found a, a lot where there were three of them. So when you go in and, and they met your price and they had three of them, so that had to at least been to your advantage. They had enough supply. So my question is, if you were to go into that same scenario and they only had one of them, and then you overhear somebody else inquire about the same vehicle, know that there's one, how do you either coach deference, someone's in that spot, or how do you personally stay in a spot like, 
I, I still don't want to show my hand too much and pay more than I should. Yeah, well, um, a couple of things, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna rewind just a little bit because you know I, I said before, Brandon and I probably answer the same thing differently, which is almost uh, always a supplement. Like my first thought on deference was there's great power in deference, and then Brandon's take uh, that it starts with self control is like that's completely complementary. I mean, it, 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 that that's a great point, and but you know we we're coaching the same type of negotiations and. Uh, you know, the, our guy Derek Gaunt, who a lot of times when we're three of us are answering questions, we'll answer the question differently and we'll and we'll all be complimentary and, and agree on the same ideas. So, you know, if, if somebody else is bargain bargaining for the same vehicle that I'm bargaining for at the same time, I'm just leaving. I'm <laughs> I just, you know, I'll take another shot at it at another time because I'm going to. You know, I'm not going to pay as much as the other guy is going to. And, you know, I competitive situations, uh, I, I'm, pro I'm probably not going to hang in there. I'm not going to try to beat somebody out of the same vehicle. One thing I really admire about you guys both is that you it's easy to agree with people. And what can be difficult is disagreeing with people. But you guys do such a magical job at disagreeing without being a jerk. Can you talk to me a little about what does that look like? How do you coach being able to disagree without being a jerk? And then maybe in addition, saying no without sounding like a dick. Professor, I'll throw that one to you first, man. You, you are the master behind things like how am I supposed to do that and letting no out slowly. So I'll, I'll let you lead off there, boss. Well, you know, the real, the real thing is, and you know, we got a negotiation going on right now uh, where, um, we're in that exact same position. We've been in that position before. Um, and it's just like, it, it's okay to walk away as long as everybody understands exactly why you're walking away. Like if we're, if we're in a negotiation with somebody and, and their terms don't work for us, you know, the discussion will be like, like here, here are the terms that work for us for it to be a great deal. Now, if it's not a great deal for you also, and we understand that there's, you know, no harm, no done, uh, no, no harm, no foul. Like, so what's a great deal look like for you? What's a great deal look like for us? Is there enough overlap to make it happen? You know, but never let anybody wonder why you're walking away. And so you don't have to say that in a, in a, in a jerk mindset. And, you know, and the most recent conversation I had, I was like, look, I understand what you guys want, what you want. It's, you're, you're entitled to that. You understand your business dynamics better than we do. So if you can't make this deal, that's cool. But we want, also want you to know what we would need in order to make a great deal. And then if it, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And so if, I, you know, it's, it's okay to disagree. It's okay to have separate positions in life where it just doesn't match. We don't like the idea the un, of not knowing whether or not we could have made the deal. I mean, that, that's my personal take, and, and I'm sure what Brandon has, has got to say on that is, uh, is going to supplement and add to it. But, you know, don't let somebody wonder why you're walking away. You, you don't got to say it in a mean way. You just, just be candid and, and gentle and honest. Yeah, along those same lines, you know, never, never let them wonder. Um, we're also, and I think this is a certain type of negotiator influencer at the table in general. Uh, we're not the type that uses no or walk away as a tactic. Like that's not how he or I operate, nor did anybody we would coach or anybody that would work for us. And, and I think, you know, if you're out there listening to podcasts and watching TEDx talks and things, there's a certain level of executives that they will say no just because they've been given the opportunity to say no for no other reason other than that, right? And so, um, number one, how do you handle that? But coming coming from us, it's the, the genuineness factor behind why we're talking to you comes through, and and that, that's that's you know not using it as a tactic. And I think um, additionally, the only time we struggle is when we're dealing with a counterpart that we tried to turn down. And they've dealt with so many others that use no as a tactic that they're just convinced that's what we're doing. So we got to be because the last 130 people I talked to were using it as a tactic. So they got to be doing it too. 
And we, when we run into that individual and, you know, just being able to finagle the situation as it were, we can still let them down slowly without, without them feeling like they've been shunned. Uh, that's, that's probably the only, the only time it's ever an issue. And that, that's not a huge one. And uh, Chris, I sent you the shark tank video and we were listening to Lewis Howes this that. morning. Yeah, yeah, nice, yeah. Nice job. Yeah. And so <laughs> it was cool for me just to hear you kind of repeat. I, I watched this and that take it or leave it mentality where how am I supposed to do that? I suppose is another way to disagree or to reach another uh, solution, if you will, without being a jerk. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and how am I supposed to do that question? I mean, it's really, what's the legitimate question here? I mean, let, let's ask a legitimate question, even with kidnappers. Like, you know, I, I, what's a legitimate question? How are we supposed to do something we can't do? Or how are we supposed to comply if we, if we don't know what's going to lead to a deal? And, you know, well, the guys in that Shark Tank episode, what I loved about that was they asked legitimate questions. They said, how are we supposed to do that and give you your money back? You know, if, if you destroy us, we're not, you, you're not going to be able, we're not going to be able to pay your money back. So, but the how question is a, is a deferential way to hit people with really legitimate questions. Now, they might not care what the answer is, but that's, that's part of understanding what the scenario is. Like, how am I supposed to do that as a question, you know, which was born out of kidnapping negotiation when we started using it in business? You know, Brandon uh, saw right away, he says, that's forced empathy. It's making the other side take a look at your situation and evaluate whether or not it's doable. Is this implementable the way it is? So that's what's empathy, making somebody look at your perspective, your point of view, forced empathy. How am I supposed to do that? Now, the interesting thing about how am I supposed to do that is like maybe one time in 10, it doesn't work. It's a it's a grand slam home run nine times out of ten. And some people are so used to being such a huge home run. Then we'll be coaching them or talking to them. They go like, I tried it and it didn't work. And we and our answer is, well, it's not that it didn't work. It's you got an answer you didn't expect. Because about one time out of ten, when you ask somebody how much supposed to do that, they're gonna throw it right back at you. I don't care. You know, it's at your problem. You figure it out. That's not a failure. That's more information about your counterpart. Your counterpart could care less about you. Now, you might not like it, but you just got smarter in the moment. And now you make up your mind. Do I want to do business with somebody who really doesn't care about me? And probably the answer is no. Maybe the, the short-term reason is really, really good, but there ain't no long-term relationship there. And we believe in long-term relationships. I think one of the biggest parts about how am I supposed to do that, Chris, is how you say it. And I've heard it on podcasts. You have that uh, late night FM DJ voice usually when you say, how am I supposed to do that? And that comes across different than a yelling, how am I supposed to do that? When it's a little right. bit softer and lower and you kind of just level with them. How am I supposed to do that? How does tone play a factor when you say those words specifically? Tone, tone is everything, right, Brandon? I mean, you can get away. Brandon can... The stuff that Brandon's got away with saying to me with a good tone of voice. <laughs> tone, tone is tone is paramount. I mean, I, I think, right, that's one of the places we always start with negotiation. Going back to this forced empathy concept, though, that's really where I want to focus. Mm -hmm. When you're forcing your counterpart to see things from where you sit. And the thing is, a counterpart is never compelled to see things from your perspective unless you've exhibited understanding first. And that's what this, right? We call it tactical empathy. And then we got this forced empathy piece. That's what, that's what this is really about. How do I make the counterpart feel utterly compelled to look at things from our perspective and then offer solutions that benefit me and consequently both of us, but benefit me right away. And it's all about exhibiting the verbalization up front. And then when you can drop in, how am I supposed to do that, right? So it is, it is, in fact, sequential. You can do it with a great tone of voice. You drop in, how am I supposed to do it at the wrong time? It's going to fall on its face. I promise you. There's plenty of people listening right now that have, have, have had that not work. And it's all about where you dropped it in. And so is the counterpart emotionally ready to be shut down by you and then be compelled to think of solutions that actually benefit you. And how do we create that moment, right? Which is where emotional moments and all those other things come from. But we want to set up forced empathy. We want to set them up to see what we see.
what was interesting, Chris, on that clip is Mr. Wonderful. He was like at the edge of his seat, almost in anger. This is it. Take it or leave it. If you don't like it, that's fine. And when the presenter said, you know, how am I supposed to do that and still protect your ass? What I saw was physically Kevin O'Leary kind of backing up and his eyes fluttered a little bit, almost like he was thinking, well, how are they supposed to do that? And sure enough, there was this delay. He kind of came back with a counter. And then Barbara ends up coming in and gets the deal. I just thought it was fascinating how that simple kicking it back with the right tone, not accusing, but seriously wondered, how am I supposed to do that? And making them think about the other side. Yeah. Yeah, it was a great clip. I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, at some point at that, I thought about tracking those guys down and uh, just <laughs> find out for sure whether or not they were they were knowingly <laughs> black swan and Kevin. <laughs> well, so we keep on with the personality <clears throat> side of things. What I love is how you have broken down the word why. There's a great time to use it, and there's some times where it's probably not to your advantage. So, Brandon, what are some sometimes where you probably don't want to use the word why? Uh, most of the time. There, there are very few instances where we actually want to use the word why. And that's, that's really knowing, knowing just a few, the few times to drop it in, that's all we need to be aware of and then avoid it at pretty much all costs. Why causes defensiveness? It does that everywhere. And so the only time we want to use why is when someone else was going to be compelled to defend us. How do we put them in a position where they want to defend what we have going on, right? When they feel the need to prove that what we offer, what we're bringing to the table is most valuable. And that's the only time to use why. We want to, we were, we're forcing, um, uh, we're forcing a much more lengthy explanation as to what brought them to the to the table in the first place yeah so i mean uh, as a general rule if you're looking for somebody's motivation other than the motivation to do business with you you need to steer clear of the word you know and, and which is really hard because i mean there's so much advice out there to find out people's why yeah they assume that then okay well i got to find out their why. All i got to do is ask why and then unfortunately they're they're hitting an open an open wound, an open nerve, because they get they got beat on. Uh, because anybody, anytime somebody thinks they did something wrong, even as adults, they said, "Why'd you do that?" Like if if you did something at work, your boss said, "Why you do?" If your boss thought you were wrong, your boss was gonna say, "Why'd you do that?" If a colleague, if a significant other, if anybody in your world thinks you do some, did something wrong, they're gonna say, "Why did you do that?" I mean, we get this constantly so you know we got reason to have our guard up which is why you got to be careful using it and it's always it always seems to discreate like brand said that defensiveness and people will defend even being wrong versus an open-ended question of how did how did we get here how did how did we get right. to this spot where now we're explaining versus defending and and maybe we can figure out where we go next versus putting people in a bad mental spot I want to go back to the the Shark Tank thing because I think that's such a great way for people to practice their skills or kind of see it in motion. And I was recently watching, it was just a couple nights ago, Mark Cuban, who I know you're a big fan of, Chris. You guys had a great conversation that I tuned into a couple times. There was a point when he just kind of, they, they were going back and forth and he said, look, guys, you obviously came in here with a number. Why don't we just kind of cut the crap? Let's just get to the number. What is it? And then we can go from there. And I'm curious you guys talk a lot about letting the other side go first. And for obvious reasons, we want them to speak before we speak. But what do you do when you're dealing with a counterpart who maybe maybe it is more assertive and they just kind of get it to you like, you know what, you you clearly have a number. What is it? And you're on the other side and you, you don't want to speak first. You don't want to let that number out. Obviously, one way to go about it is saying something like, how am I supposed to do that? But any other advice for dealing with somebody who is really demanding about, give me your number. What is it? Well, I mean, we're going to give them the number. I mean, we're we're not going to let it, you know, uh, not going to let it land naked, so to, so to speak. I mean, we always prep people for numbers, and it's you know what we would refer to as an emotional anchor. Look, like you're not going to like this. You know, we're going to characterize the number before we drop it. But we get we got no problem dropping a number. It's just that never drop a number without some sort of preparation for the number in advance. Okay. And I, you know. 
a couple of years ago, I'm talking to this guy, multimillionaire, and I'm at a conference and he's talking to me about having just in this one interaction, one coaching on, you know, he stood to win or lose $9 million. So the, you know, the deal was for a lot more than nine. And he wanted to know how much I charge an hour. And I thought, you know, dude's got, dude's got $9 million at stake. And I could charge him a million dollars for this and he'd still make eight. And I was stupid enough to drop the, the, the consulting number per hour, at an hour without characterizing it in advance. And, you know, it was, it was a tiny, tiny percentage of what he had at stake. But, I, you know, I dropped that number all by itself. It's, oh, it's too much. And I thought, you know, I, I'm dumb enough to take this guy at his word, $9 million. You know, my number's got to be palatable. So, you know, we'll, I'll, we'll quote a number. We're just, you know, I, we're not in favor of dropping it out there naked, you know. So if you could I rewind, how would that go? I'd say it's a lot. I'd say, look, I say, look, and what I say consistently now, I'm, you're going to get sticker shock when you hear this. <laughs> you know, it's gonna, we're, we're getting ready to give you a heart attack. Going to be a high number. Um, Brand, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I'd be in full agreement. I mean, the other thing is, it, it circumstance is going to drive a strategy, right? We always talk about that. And if you are in fact dealing with someone that wants to come at you like a freight train and be very pushy with you about giving them your number, you know, on the other side of that, be very candid about how their head is going to explode. And they're might get, they're going to have a heart attack. Matter of fact, you know, get your life alert button ready because as soon as I tell you what's going to happen here, right, your your hair's going to start falling out. I mean, take that as an opportunity to over exaggerate. If you're going to come at me this way, then I'm going to make sure that I overemphasize how horribly you are going to receive this number, and I am going to be shameless about it. And when you do that, I would imagine they've got maybe a number that's even higher than you were anticipating. So it's not quite as bad as we thought it was going to be. Well, the, 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 the subconscious dynamic that we all worry about is whoever throws a number out first, the other person is going to adjust even just slightly. Right. If I was thinking 75, only if you said 100, but now you said 125 and I'm going to say 85. Right. I make that making that slight adjustment in the moment. Right. Those. Those little incremental mental moves that everyone tries to pull off at the table that we're all scared of, right? Like I'm, that's what, that's what we are managing with your words before you give the number. And that's what you need to focus on. Like, I want to make sure that that doesn't happen. How do I manage that part of their mental process explicitly and let them know that that's exactly what I'm doing before I tell them anything? So, Chris, back in the 80s, we listened to Lewis Howes this morning. You were frustrated with that. I think Roger Dawson caused, called it the, the nibble, where you got the sale and, oh, by the way, can you throw in this? Can you throw in that? And that's yeah. frustrating uh, for you. I, he taught something else, and I'm interested because what happened when you shared the number is the other guy, what Roger talks about is the flinch. Somebody says says a number and you're coming back. Oh my word. I could never afford it. You're, you know, you're out of your mind. I was not expecting it to be that much. So I'm just kind of curious to get both of your thoughts on when you throw a number out, uh, let's uh, what, whatever the service is and you get the flinch, what, how do you kind of combat that? Or, or what's your thought process when someone gives you the, I can't believe it's that much. We don't, we never get it. That just that was my answer for that. If you're if you lead in, if you're unashamed about how horribly this number is going to land, then you don't get the flinch. We don't we don't hear it. We you eliminate the flinch, right? You 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 diffuse it. Yeah, we you know we we'll tell people like the worst that's ever going to happen is the guy's going to say, "Well, yeah, you told me it was going to be high," <laughs> but I haven't experienced that. And I, I don't know that anybody in our team has experienced that. I mean, what we consistently get is like the number I give you is going to stop your heart. And they'll always think of a number higher than, than what we had in mind. And, and we won't throw the number until they've given us permission to move forward. Like, you know, we're going to sit there and wait. Like if, they, if they're too scared of the number to hear it at all, 
We're like, all right, you know, no hard feelings. And a lot of the other, uh, you know, there's several things there. A lot of the other thing too is, you know, as a company, our core values are to over deliver. Like we're going to be a bargain. No matter what we charge you, we're going to be a bargain. And then a, a lot of, you know, the flinch thing. I mean, yeah, I, I'd forgotten about that. And a lot of negotiation people out there teach a flinch or automatic. You know, the theatricality of that, you know, by definition, that's that's disingenuous. And, you know, we, we don't want, we believe our currency is our integrity. So we don't want anybody to ever think that we played them or that we flinched when we were willing to pay more. I mean, that's a lie. And, you know, price doesn't make deals, it breaks deals. You know, the deal is going to be made based on the terms, the implementation, the follow-on. And we really don't bargain with people over price. You know, we're going to, we're going to pay you your price. We're going to expect you to over-deliver. And then whatever we paid is going to be a bargain. So if you're buying and the price is more than you want to pay, is it more of instead of a flinch, a, how am I supposed to do that? That's very generous of you. That's not what our budget allows. How, how do you... How do you bring that price to where you want it to be? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm interested in what Brandon has to say on that one. And let, let me think about that for a second. Well, if you're, if you're the, the reality is if you're a buyer and you're at the table having a discussion at all, and you know what the price is, you've already thought about paying that price. And, and it's whether or not the seller is smart enough to figure, out, figure that out. And, and so as the buyer working in that environment, the other thing that really benefits you is if somebody's selling something, they're going to work really hard to get it sold. And so, um, you know, some of it depends on how savvy that seller is. Most people know this, right? You put a little pressure on them, they're going to drop the price. And, and how am I supposed to do that is probably going to be a great place to start. Layer it with tactile empathy heavily. You know, the, one of the things that we don't talk about at all in the book is how to actually deliver. How am I supposed to do that? And the process goes far beyond just those words. And so it's the accusations audit that you've used beforehand. And that's got to be very situationally based. And then the amount of times that you're going to use how am I supposed to do that before you move on to phase two, because how am I supposed to do that? It's just the first of four phases. And so how you manage that first phase how am I supposed to do that in the delivery mechanisms? And then do you even have to move on to phase through phase two, phase three? And so that, that would that would be, you know, first move, right? You're gonna hate me for this. You get beat up by buyers all the time. I know you're tired of people coming at you and wanting you to cut your price every day. You see this, you know, in at one in day out, in and you, you you never get away from it. I know you're gonna hate me for it too. I'm just another buyer on that list. Right, you do that. You do that shameless lead up. How am I supposed to pay that? Right, and when you when you've actually diffused all the negatives that they're already thinking that would cause them not to cut the price, you you removed all that stuff. How am I supposed to do that? Lands that much easier. What about this? You throw out how am I supposed to do this? this is my budget, and they quickly agree. How do you prevent or coach people from? Going, oh, I could have got it for even less. What, what are your thoughts on that? Where greed kind of takes over, like I, I could have got a better deal or I could have sold it for more because they didn't even argue with my price. Uh, Professor, I'll throw it to you because I, I mean, what comes to mind is a story about the uh, the gentleman from, what was it, the, the Flight 800 investigation from years and years ago that wanted the cell phone. And uh, uh, from you, from you, uh, from that investigative crew and Kind of yeah. the, the 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 mental hula hoops that that guy went through as a result of <laughs> how easily he got the cell phone from me. But yeah, I'll throw it to you, man. Yeah, well, you know, mostly it's um, is your negotiation really about so much more than money? And again, you know, the re the reality is, I mean, people really only focus down on bargaining and price. Price doesn't make deals; it breaks them. Uh, a price will break a deal, but it won't make a deal. So, And we focus so much more on implementation, on follow-on, on what's going to make this a great deal. That price, it doesn't completely fall away, but it's just a term. And, you know, a great set of terms with price 
could make it a great deal. And the exact same price with horrible terms could make it a horrible deal. I mean, what are you getting for your money? Um, what's the follow-on? What's the implementation? What's the long-term relationship? Like, you know, like, you're going to give Mark Cuban, you're probably going to give Mark Cuban his price because he loves long-term relationships and profitability. I mean, there's people that he wants to do business with forever, and he invests in people, and, you know, he, uh, uh, the guy is just about long-term, profitable, accelerated relationships. So you're going you're gonna to haggle with Cuban over price. You're probably going to lose a long-term partner that could have made you very wealthy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what all goes with the price is the main thing. And, and just get out get out of bargaining over the numbers entirely and understand, you know, what you're getting for it. So is that reframing your own brain where you throw out a number and they go, yep, yeah, that, that'll work. Just, hey, I got the number I wanted. Just shut up mentally versus the battle of maybe I could have got it for X amount less. Is that is that kind of your advice is just to accept the terms? You got what you wanted. Quit arguing with yourself. Well, look, no, look at the implementation. Like there's implementation in everything. I mean, there there ain't a deal that there ain't implementation involved. I mean, we had we had in one of our courses we taught at Georgetown. You know, this uh, young man is really happy about how he just slaughtered Home Depot on a price of cabinets. I mean, just killed him. You know, and he looked at it as a one-off. I'm buying the cabinets. I'm in and out. And then he had a problem. He had to turn around and go back. And they remembered that he skinned them on the price. And he he just got he just got smashed. I mean, they weren't the least bit interested in helping him solve any single problem whatsoever. And he he wrote in a paper to us is like, you know, I I saw this as a one-off, and in they, they just ain't really any one-offs out there. You're going to want their help in implementation, or if it goes bad, try to go back to somebody that you killed on a price if things go bad. I mean, you, you're in a lot of trouble there. They, they're going to make you bleed from the ears in paying you back. So it's just, you know, how, how's this deal going to get implemented? You know, what's the long-term relationship? What's the goodwill worth? I mean, there's so much more there than just the price. Nice. Brandon, do you have anything you want to jump in on there? Uh, well, I, you know, I would just, I'd say it's easier said than done, but the less dollar focused we are in negotiation overall, the more effective we're going to be. And the other thing that we, we all tend to discount is the more focus that we get on hitting our number, the more combative, the more disingenuous, you know, to, to use a term, the more grimy we actually seem in the process, because it's like, I'm not here to get a long-term deal with you. I'm here to get my number. And that starts to ooze out of us. And we, we, we have a tendency to forget that. Yeah. Great point. Um, so since learning your guys' uh, strategies, it's just been really fun. All my questions are now no oriented questions. I'm doing labels. I'm having fun with this every single day. I'm waking up, finding ways to have these conversations with my fiance, who's probably sick of it because everything is a no oriented question. I'm having conversations with my dad at the gym. I'm just thinks ma- he can get some of the stuff beyond me. I mean, <laughs> come on. You know, Chris, the father still got a little bit over the side on some of this. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, they catch up to you. You got to watch it. <laughs> That's <stuff>. true, too. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I also think with the labeling in particular, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And what I mean by that is I, and I've made the mistake. You guys talk about an example of saying something like, tough day. And there's a difference between that and it looks like you're having a tough day or what everybody hates to hear. You look really tired. You're like, man, what the hell? <laughs> like, don't, don't tell me that. So tell me the difference between, or tell me the right way to label somebody's emotions without being demeaning. No, that's great. All, all three definitely have their merits. I mean, at, at, at face value, I mean, a tough day, you know, that's, that's, that's a real easy one to go with. People feel like you're in it with them when you can start to identify what they're feeling in that type of manner, especially with that tone of voice, right? With the, it seems like you're, you're almost at arm's length with them. Like, I'm just looking at it from here, but I'm not at all involved in what's going on with you. And then you look tired, right? That's almost just a flat out insult. But tough day is almost like you, they can feel you in it with them. And they're compelled to move to move closer to you as a result. Yeah, exactly. I agree completely. 
one of the things that DJ and I are, admire too is how both of you, as as we listen and, and watch the podcast, and then at, at dinner in Las Vegas, Chris, you're probably the best listener that I've ever been around. <laughs> While there were second best, second best. Yeah, the other, the other the guy is better listening to me. He's also on a podcast. Yeah, okay, good. We got number one and number two. <laughs> well, that's good. And so he's the only guy didn't wear. He's the only guy didn't get the memo on a black shirt. Though. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, right. Yeah. I, wasn't I, listening. I wasn't listening wasn't to listening. that apparently. <laughs> but at dinner that night, whoever was chatting, it it was like you had your focus in. Like they were the only person at. The table, not ignoring somebody else, but you were just totally tuned into that. So my question is for both of you, we're having a conversation in your mind. Are you thinking, okay, where are they going with this? How do I respond? Or is it just, I have this open slate and I'm just, I'm just taking in. And then however I respond is how I respond. I'm just, I'm kind of interested to get inside your brain a little bit on the specifics of being a, a great listener. Well, for me, and Brand probably listens a little bit differently. Like, I love ideas. So I'm just trying to absorb what your thoughts are, what what's behind what you're saying. I mean, I'll, I'll worry about reacting to it after I've I've heard it through. I, I like ideas. I love new, uh, new concepts. You know, I want to think about the ramifications of what you're doing. Sometimes I'm trying to listen where you're going. Uh, but I just, I love... I love ideas. So I want, I want to hear what your ideas are. And, and then I'll, I'll worry about how I'm going to react after that. Brandon. Yeah. It's a combination of things. Um, you know, uh, some of it is based on, you know, what are they really trying to tell me as, as they're speaking, right? I'm asking myself, what are they really trying to say? If I could describe what they were saying in very different words, how would I start to put it together? Um, you know, so, some of it is a, a, at this point, I think I, I get a little ahead of myself on what skill I want to use next for one reason or another. I'm like, oh, I need to use this skill and it can just feel it coming. And so I check that off in my mind and I look for an opportunity to drop it in. Right. And then you kind of register it off to the side. Like, OK, I'll, oh, we'll label that later. We'll just save that over here for a moment. And then something else comes up that's good. Like, oh, let's 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 put a thought shaping question on that one. So it, a lot of it, like, how did we get here? Who are we talking to? What are we talking about? And like, what are, the, what are their emotions really tied to? Like, is their emotion tied to sadness or anger? Is it tied to long-term success, greed, or the dollar? And then that's going to really decide which skills are, that we're going to want to use with them and, and what we're going to put emphasis on. It really kind of drives, Chris, on one podcast. You said something that just was so profound to me that if you listen right, you start to figure out those two lines of code that people seem to have. And I want to make sure that this is not inaccurate, where I want to say your reflection was, number one, a key code line for you is that, number one, you hate bullies. It was kind of pulled out from the masterclass, which, by the way, any listener who has not gone through the masterclass, it's phenomenal. And uh, you hate bullies. And then number two, that you were just a big believer in, in karma. You put good things out there and, and good things come back. Or is, is that inaccurate? No, nah, no, nah, I like that a lot. I think those two things are, are very true. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm going to put the father on the spot. If you were to speculate on your son, what do you think are his two lines of code that, that drive him? You know, he has, he has a real deep sense of, uh, of right and wrong. I mean, he really does. He cares about people very deeply. And, and he, has, he has a real deep sense of, of right and wrong. He, um, he, he, worries about, he worries about the underdog. Uh, he's very concerned about people that are misunderstood based on appearances. You know, he, 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 he likes to walk down the street with two pit bulls and wonder why people are scared of him. <laughs> But, you know, he, he's very much a, a believer in the depth of people and who they are under the surface. And he's worried about people who are um, misunderstood. What are you, you write another book here? He said two lines. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, he's disrespectful occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> At times. <laughs> 
I'm watching your eyes, Brandon. And that's, that's pretty powerful when your dad speaks those kind of words toward you. What, what were your thoughts when, when he was sharing that? No, I, I was, I was, I was like, okay, what are my two lines for him going to be? Right. Cause that's, that's where it's coming at back next. But no, I, I think, you know, it's uh, uh, I started to think to myself, like, you know, I think I was, I was probably raised, raised right. You know, it so, sounds like a kid that probably had good parents. It's pretty cool. So let's talk a little bit about uh, managing anger. It's Thank seen- God for his mother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. God bless my mother. Right. Ooh. <laughs> Okay. Uh, it's hard to go from laughing to talking about anger, but I guess we're going to flip the switch here a little bit. And it, I don't know if you're feeling this out in Vegas or on the, the East Coast where people's fuses just seem to be shorter. And I don't know if this is pandemic related or if it's just, you know, it just seems like people are really short with their fuse. Have you, have you noticed that out there, just generally speaking? Yeah, well, only you know, only if I am, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll set people off, but you know, somebody whose fuse is short, you know, they're actually being really genuine, you know, they're being really honest with you. Like if uh, their emotions are out there, they're being, they're being straightforward with you. If you can deal with that, I mean, then those people can, can really open up and, and give you an opportunity to make them feel appreciated. So, is it a challenge? Or, you know, is it an opportunity? And in New York. Like uh, prior to the pandemic, I mean, you know, I'm a Midwestern dude. I'm expecting New Yorkers to be harsh and, and found them to be some of the most wonderful, most giving people that I ever came across once you got past, what was, you know, the gruff exterior. So, yeah, I think people have shorter fuses a little bit, they're a little more stressed now, but then they're that much more appreciative of actually being seen. Add-ons, Brandon? All right, no, I, you know, I, I got nothing to add to that. I, I, I love that answer. I'm, I'm in full agreement with that. I mean, it's just, it's about genuineness, right? How, how, are, we, how are we interpreting what we're getting from others and then how do we deal with it? Essence of negotiation. So as a former cop, Chris, there had to be situations where people were coming at you, ticked that you pulled them over. How did you, how'd you keep your cool when someone's ticked at you for something that they did? Well, first of all, when I was a cop, you know, I hadn't, I, I, you know, I was a little loud. I was a little pushy. My early, my earlier days, I hadn't really learned how to well, talk to me. people <laughs> early on. And, um, but as a police officer, I mean, I, you know, I you know, write somebody a ticket, we call signing them up. Um, if I stopped you and most often I wasn't going to sign you up. If you wanted to have an argument about it, I was probably planning on letting you go anyway. You know, because I was looking for, you know, you're a bad guy, uh, carrying drugs or weapons. You know, I wasn't wasn't a traffic-oriented person. But if you were upset with me, before I walked up to your car, I knew whether or not I planned on signing you up. So no matter no, what you said, probably didn't make any difference. And that, that was that was principally it. I mean, and there were times in my younger days as a police officer when I, I did not talk to people well. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I guarantee it happened plenty of times and I probably didn't handle it well. I, after I'd been on the job for a couple of years, I finally ran across uh, some guys who had been detectives who really knew how to talk to people. And that's when I started to pick it up. So that's where kind of that late night DJ voice, was that the, the dawn of that? Well, you know, the first guy that I ran across, he just had a really friendly voice. And I sort of stumbled over the late night FM DJ voice by accident. A number of years later when I was on the uh, suicide hotline. So the three plus, just break that open. That's pretty fascinating. Sure. So it's, it's getting agreement from someone in regards to a particular issue three times. And so that doesn't necessarily mean yes, but uh, the example we use a lot is uh, if we're getting, looking to get a contract signed next week. And they say, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll send you guys a contract over on Tuesday. You just got your first form of agreement from them now our tendency is to go okay thanks we'll see you on tuesday and run out of the room what you actually need to do is three plus you got two more agreements that you got to get before you move forward in the conversation so we'll get you the time uh, the contract on tuesday tuesday right just simply mirror whatever their agreement whatever they committed to whatever that was yeah tuesday's the day we're going to send out all the uh all the contracts 
Sounds like Tuesday is the day you guys have always done this historically. Every Tuesday, or actually Monday night, Mark and his team, they get together, they figure out the contracts, Tuesday morning, everything goes out. So now three times they've said Tuesday. Wednesday morning comes next week. You are in fully in a, in a, in a very, very advantageous position to reach out and say, hey, when, when we spoke and you guys said Tuesday, what were we supposed to think? And so not only are you getting three times commitment, but human beings tend to remember things that they commit to three times. And so the likelihood of calling back going, when you guys said, I don't remember saying that, right? They, they have no defense because three times they told us. And so it's, it's, it's um, I think in hostage negotiation, Professor, you guys refer to that as like the closest thing to a promise that you can get from anyone. Getting them to agree to it three times was, was just as good as, I swear on my mother's grave that I'll get it to you on Tuesday, right? Something along those right. lines. Right, exactly. Any well, last questions? Yeah, just I mean, just before we wrap up, I've been in the speaking industry since 1990, and uh, just you know, Chris, we've had more interaction than with uh, with Brandon. And I would just say to to both of you, I don't know that I've ever seen two more generous people at your level. Uh, we had dinner together and, and Chris shared kind of the vision of a charity that you get behind a place called home. And my brother and I, we we're excited enough. I mean, we each wrote a check for $500 and, and I just, I, I think it just speaks volumes about who the two of you are. And, uh, I, I can't thank you enough. You got a, you got a fan for life on this side of it and, and to take an hour, both of you to join us on this podcast, uh, something that will uh will be memorable will be a part of our lives uh forever and so i just i just want to say thanks that uh you you walk the talk there's no doubt about it that's kind of you thank you very much yeah no very kind we always we always have fun kicking things around with you guys awesome cool as we wrap things up um obviously the book by the way three million copies sold that's insane congratulations guys that's so cool i didn't know that so congrats Read the book, obviously. Other than that, what else do uh, you guys have going on that I can point the listeners to? Well, they had to subscribe to the newsletter, shouldn't they, Brian? Yeah, yeah. You can subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, you can either do it on our website or actually, Professor, you remind them what the, 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 uh, the text message sign-up looks like. Yeah, if you want to sign up via text, the number you text to is 33777-33777. The message you send to that number is black swan method, lowercase, spaces between the words B-L-A-C-K, space S-W-A-N, space M-E-T-H-O-D. And if, uh, if I've described it correctly, you get a text message back asking for your email. You sign us up, and it's a gateway to everything. The, the newsletter is a gateway to the website, training announcements. It's, uh, it's a gateway to the gold mine. And you got a documentary. We, the documentary, we screened it for the first time the other night. Uh, we're, we're probably, we're pretty, we're pretty happy with the way it looks. And uh, we're going to probably show it in LA in September. And then we'll see what happens after that. There, there isn't a distribution deal yet, but ideally it'll end up on Amazon at some point. I can't wait. Well, thanks guys. Appreciate it.